This is a Valerie Moss original podcast. In today's episode, I welcome Darren Reeves, warden for over 25 years in corrections and policing. He's a very deep thinker and takes his position in society serving the public with humble and respectful thoughts. He's careful and methodical about his occupation and his opinions of others are highly regarded at all levels, including inmates and colleagues. Treating people right regardless of what they've done, he has a very foot forward position to process. Make effective changes in someone else's life. We are all human, he says. This episode was recorded in Dalmany, Saskatchewan, in my dad's dining room setting. As you can hear, there's family mulling about in the background. Enjoy the episode. Interview with a warden. Welcome to the show, Darren Reeves. Thank you for being a good sport and doing an interview with me. And I just want to give you a little bit of background. So I am not obsessed, but I listen to a ton of crime shows. Investigation Discovery, crime podcasts, crime books, crime, all shapes and sizes, cold case, new case, whatever. Very interesting that you are engaged to my sister mm-hmm. and that you were previously a warden for a number of years. Mm-hmm. So I'm in, very intrigued about this. I wanted to just ask you a couple of questions and learn a bit about your position in that type of role and kind of what you did. Can you tell me a bit about how you got into the into the field into that field yes my life behind bars um yeah sure the uh i was uh, working in the field corrections for uh, just over 25 years um, oh wow okay i started uh um right out of college it was uh, an opportunity that uh um to get into law enforcement because it was uh, an area I've always been fascinated in. I, I didn't read all the crime novels, but uh, the Hardy Boys was a huge influence. Uh, but there's never Hardy Boys uh, go to Walla Walla or Penn, you know, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania Penn or anything like that. But um, so anyways, I got into uh, into the field. I start off in a uh, uh, medium maximum security facility. And at the age of 20, and oh, was, medium and maximum. Yeah. Well, okay. Facilities can have uh, more than one designation, and um, I was just so excited to accept the role that I had. I didn't have the same understanding of uh, of the uh, the field as as others might. So anyway, I accepted this job. I was just excited to go work and uh, in the field and the facility I went into. I start off in is uh, um, was. Actually, it's triple designated. You could take uh, minimum, medium, and maximum are what most people are aware of. Although right, there could for be, sure. There could be other levels of de- uh, designation because of the, um, you know, especially as we get into today with the, uh, when we do risk management, which we'll talk about, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so at 20, I'm, there I am telling, you know, people in, that are ages 17 to, 
into their 80s, you know, when to make their bed and So kind of just set the stage for me. So they would come into this facility or Mm -hmm. you, like, what was your position there and how did you kind of direct this situation? So so when I first started, I was a a, a correctional officer. I know most people uh, like using the term guard, but no offense to people that work in a a guard-like fashion, but correctional officers are a profession. Oh, have always advocated for that recognition for them. Uh, even to this day, even though I'm uh, moved on to other careers. So as a correctional officer, you are you are in fact a peace officer within the criminal code. So is it schooling that you would have to well, be in that? Or is no, it not kind necessarily. of I mean, once training? you go into, once you're accepted into the field, I mean, having uh, post-secondary education has always, I think, benefited a lot of people. But I've also worked with some very fine staff um, at all levels who just were very effective at interacting and problem solving and communicating uh, which are all very key aspects of By being gut. an officer so oh, they yeah. just had instinct yeah. that had instinct that that uh you know the very successful ones were the ones that were being proactive and they weren't in there in there on a power trip and right. sometimes in all fields uh, but particularly in law enforcement you can have um, a percentage that have a power and control aspect and uh you try to work with them to make sure that it's never abused. Uh, unfortunately, we always see media where we've seen unfortunate uh, moments when, when that does occur. But I could say that the great majority of personnel I've worked with over my career have been very uh, exceptionally professional and to this day. And I don't think they're always appreciated for the role they do because what happens is that you are getting individuals that come into custody because the greater majority of my career was working in the uh, custody operations although i have some background in probation as well but so custody like institutions okay okay so they uh you have so we'll go back to i start off like i said at 20 and you're working with people in mm-hmm. um people that come into the care of the institutions and people think of us as being the punishers the punishment is actually the sentence and the correctional institutions are the institutions which, which allows that individual to make choices to determine how they are going to come out at the end of their sentence. So there's choices always being made. Interesting. So, okay. So, so it's basically they get their punishment, which is by the by judge, the court. by yeah. the court. They're arrested by the by police officers. The, the administration of justice is, is uh, rendered upon them by the judiciary. And then they come into the care of the correctional service to carry out their sentence or their Correct. punishment. Their punishment. But yeah. a lot of people, you know, and sometimes even the offenders believe we're there to punish them. What we're there to do is principally to help them make choices, to take programming, to work with them in a positive role model, mentorship level, if you will, um, be it in the young offender side or the adult side, so that if they choose to uh, they can make some very positive changes, right? So you provide them with the necessary tools to... We endeavor to do so, yes. And you some try. People do. Yeah, and some and people some will people embrace. Don't. Right. Yes. Got it. So... So you were about 20 when you got into yeah. this. 
did you come from a corrections background, your family, parents? Who no, kind of no. inspired you in this? Or were you just, like you said, kind of hardy boys and well, it was, wanting to Well, it was maybe... an interest in a couple of things. I was interested in law enforcement in whatever capacity because I also was interested in serving the public. That's uh, No one else in my family at the time had been in public service. I was the only one. Interesting. Um, okay. And a lot of my life has been about public service, be it in my uh, professional and in personal life. Personal life, there's a lot of volunteering that I've done uh, for over 30, almost 35 years. So uh, giving to the public has always been an intrinsic value of mine. So So were you kind of like a play-by-the-rules kind of guy always? Yeah, I was a square. You're uh, a little square. Yeah, so you was, were. So you kind of yeah. were appreciative of. I oh, I appreciate the the uh, law. Well, I like to think I was right. Um, and then when you go in, you, you, but I wasn't trying to instill any kind of um, particular rule set on onto our offenders, uh, except those which were the rules of the system, right? So it wasn't for us to say what I thought was right or wrong. It was what the societal norms are expected of people, right? Right. To adhere to um, accepted rules and regulations and that kind of thing. So kind of like in my my position, I'm a project manager. So we have a framework that we have to work within Mm -hmm. to build process and to make whatever you're working on fit within this schedule of X values Mm -hmm. or... So you had a framework in the corrections industry system system that you basically instilled. Right. Whether you were fully pro or against didn't matter. Right. This was what you were. And you need to have a rational detachment by, uh, in many ways. So that, and by rational detachment, I mean is that you, you try not to take any of it personally. That's an interesting way. Um, I like that wording. Because you have people that are coming into the system that you think about it, um, that they lose their role in the community, they their lose their family, they lose their uh, whatever their kids, whatever power or whatever they attribute or or align themselves with um, power and position. Right. And now they come into a building, and everything is heavily structured, and there are expectations of them. So you might have someone that was a high-level business person that when they come into a correctional center, now they are a cleaner. Right. Right. Or they're used to having a beautiful home uh, and they have, uh, you know, one large unit with 48 other people or more or less, of which uh, now they're having to get used to those strangers sleeping beside them or in a bunk system or whatever. So their, their individuality now is uh, lessened to uh, to extreme levels. The other side of it is that you also have people that who are on the, who may be coming in that they've been on the street. They haven't had a home. They haven't had the stability of structure, food, health care, and so they end up in a correctional center and they can actually find means of um, lack of better term. Uh, perhaps normalcy. Normalcy. Well, normalcy. Yeah, normalcy is really a point. So yeah. when you spoke about like somebody who was a businessman, you're not like quote unquote businessman selling drugs. You're talking about somebody who actually owned a business in society that has right. potentially made a bad decision. Yes. Or a mistake. Yeah. Or was so you get people in there something. for fraudulent behavior or you get people in there for uh, doing serious criminal activity. 
I mean, you've, uh, you know, you, you learn after a while is that people can be capable of anything. Right. So- You can find that members of law enforcement, you, after a while, you can become jaded if you don't have touchstones to try and feel normal. Grounding, yeah. Uh, you know, so, you know, this is why you'll see a lot of people in fields like policing, nursing, um, fire uh, emergency services. Mm-hmm. They tend standards. to have certain social structures because it's difficult for other people to relate to them. Uh, I shouldn't say relate to them. I mean, I think we're all relatable. I think it, yeah, I but mean, not everyone can understand the things that you may have seen, and so you hear terms like having uh, dark humor or uh, right, which uh, we were talking about yeah, earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you know things that you know would not necessarily be seen as funny by most any other person. You kind of get a very twisted perspective of, of uh, humor, but you also have to make light of. You do. Some of this because it is such a concentrated area that you work in. So you see so much of it, right? And you're seeing seeing some very dark things. You're also being subjected. Because trust me, there are a lot of people that um, come into facilities that when they have no one, you know, they're very angry, right? I don't want to make that a broad brush, but there there is a, a part of the population. They're not well. I mean, they're coming into this because they've... Right, they they've Shows done some in certain paths. Yeah. Right, and I don't want to speak in generalities, but there's just human dynamic. There's so many different reasons why someone comes into an institution or into the into the care of the justice system, and and so the opportunities of when they have to lash, they lash out against the staff, the guard, or uh, the correctional mm, officer. Yes. Mate. So they'll they'll lash out against the correctional officer. They'll lash out against other inmates. They'll lash out against people who are working within the system to help them, but. It's sometimes a reaction uh, that they want to feel a sense of control and some control back. Right. And right. If you if you've always witnessed control in a negative way, you will associate that as a positive thing. So if they believe that um, to establish uh, control over another person is through violence or through verbal assaults, mm-hmm. they be- they may believe that that's the the manner in which they should be acting. Right. And so their version of normalcy is very different than, like I said earlier, societal norm. So when you were 20 and you came into this role, what was like one of the first things that you witnessed or came upon that kind of always sat with you? Do you have something like that? Like being so young and being kind of thrown into this environment that is so different than a normal home or a normal work environment? Was there something that kind of sat with you well you know i i was very fortunate that i had some strong mentors uh within the system and one of the the most significant things that i was uh informed of was always be uh respectful and uh towards other inmates and you even use that when i say that to uh, officers when that were graduating at courses that i used to attend as a speaker Sometimes you get this look, like, "What do you mean? They're they're an offender. They're an inmate." Yeah, they're, or this, they or, lost that privilege right. or and this people, attitude. It's almost reinforcing uh, the labeling theory, right? And, right. And in fact, they still remain a human being. And so, when you're you're being respectful, it's just treating someone right. Because if we don't emulate how to treat someone correctly. We will just allow or enable the negative behaviors to continue. 
And so if you just keep, you know, maintaining that and showing them that, you know, a person can be treated with respect regardless of what they're in there for. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, keeping that positive, um, you know, foot forward or positive thought process. You won't impact everyone, but there will still be some that have never been treated that way that will, in fact, internalize that and make some effective changes. I'm not going to say they go 180 degrees, Mm -hmm. but they may start to change the arc of how they approach things with other people. Well, don't you separate it so they're not bad people, but what they chose was a bad path or they chose a bad decision? Yeah, you, you try and do your best. I mean, some things you, you find out some of the really dark places that your your uh, offenders come from. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're only human too. And so you always have to check yourself as well. Um, right, because you're not on the cover of Cosmo every month. That, well, hopefully right. not. Hopefully, no. yes. Uh, but there are, you know, there's some pretty, um, you know, there's some people that you wouldn't, you certainly aren't going to invite home for dinner. Uh, you're not going to be allowing, uh, you certainly are, are not going to want your, your child to be, uh, um, you know, involved with them socially. Exchanging Christmas cards, things sure. like that. Um, although I've, I've had a few that uh, have given me Christmas cards over the years, but fortunately it's to my uh, address in the center and not, not, you know, outside. Yes. Um, but the fact that they even did that was actually a positive thing because they're right. trying to, to show Act themselves as being well the trans yeah it's human right right and not to say that they aren't but there's different uh, aspects of change for everyone right So yeah, 20 years old, working in a system where you have people categorized, and it was very different back then um, because a lot of the the people that we would have been dealing with, their um, the challenges that they came in with was a lot of alcohol uh, and drug issues that were uh, related to the crimes that they were doing. So I know you don't want to talk about kind of the facility that you were in. I understand the kind I've of confidential. I've worked at seven. Seven different yeah. ones, and were they all like? Northern Saskatchewan or in nope. Canada? No, nope, they're or... all in Canada. They're okay. in Western uh, Canada. They've been institutions in the uh, up in the north and mm-hmm. uh, in uh, southern parts of the provinces. Uh, okay. uh, I was very so fortunate. Quite to, a variety. To yeah, and, and I look at it as each afforded me a different opportunity and uh, opportunities for growth. I mean, I started, as, as we've talked about, as a correctional officer. I then have... Uh, Worked as a caseworker in uh, a female unit, uh, which is uh, certainly uh, not like it's... Well, you know what? I don't think a lot of what happens in corrections is what people imagine other than the influence they have from the media, right? Particularly television. Right. And it's never... Most of the time, it's it's very boring. 
Um, long there days. Are long yeah. days, lots of repetition for everybody. <laughs> right. And then certain events will happen and you are just going like gangbusters. Uh, no pun intended about that. Mm-hmm. But you're, you're constantly active. You're dealing with uh, all kinds of things from um, assaults to um, uh, deaths in custody, which are just a tragedy that they even occur because uh, you know, many of them are are accidental. If um, none of the institutions I was working at, did we ever have a, a hit being done or someone being taken out for a cause? So um, that would be but that in does relation happen. to internal, right? So internal gang yeah. violence against yeah. another gang. Okay. And that does happen. You start to see, so 20 years ago, as I, uh, 20, 30, almost 30 years ago, uh, a lot of the crimes, as I said, were, were more, um, you know, addiction based. Right. Okay. And, so uh, theft, for theft, drugs, property, theft, drugs, uh, assaults that were related to, uh, to different addictions, and now what you're seeing um, in the last, uh, well, at least for myself, what I've seen in the last particularly 15 years, is you see a lot of gang issues being um, have evolved. You're seeing a lot more about the drugs, but at a more in-depth level, more of the organized, uh, lower-level organized crime. That in fact. Um, you know, things that happen in an institution can involve gangs from all over province, all over Canada. And, you know, so when you even think about, oh, I, I'm just working in this institution, but the influence is from all, from all these outside sources trying to control things on the inside. And the connection, that's And the connectivity so is just, uh, right. it, it can be fascinating, even for within... Uh, like they're locked down in here, they have this huge network. Of- yeah, very substantial network for some. Great officers... Great people working in the field of intelligence. They're doing some amazing work. What kind and of drugs? Like what kinds of things? Basically, um, what can you get? Uh, it's you like won't we were get talking the highest, marijuana. Are oh, you yeah, talking you get, opioids? You get every, a little bit of everything that will attempt to be brought in. Again, this is the diligence of staff and uh, operators trying to um, intercede when these things occur. Okay, so let's go into that. So I was curious about the whole processing thing. Okay. You've done something wrong. You've been convicted by a judge. You're getting sent to correction facility. You don't call them prisons, I understand. You call them a facility, correction facility. Correctional facilities. Depending on the level of severity of the crime, you go into a different type of facility. Yeah, if if you're sentenced to two years less a day, you go Mm -hmm. into a provincial correctional center and two years or, or more. Uh, you're sentenced to a federal institution, necessary to place them in an institution, but that they can serve their sentence within the community. So they could be either on probation or going to a federal institution and from there go on to parole. Okay, so there's so... a lot more people that are on probation and parole than there are in institutions. And people, I don't think people are aware of that. But, okay, so yeah. the positive so... side of that is that most of those people are very, um, can self-manage or are manageable that they are not a risk to society. And that's why those people are allowed to be in those kinds of um, uh, sentences is because of uh, the um, there's a lesser degree of risk. So when you're getting into, uh, into crimes where, or sentencing where an individual is deemed not to be a threat to society, you can, uh, they can in fact uh, be placed into a community supervision role. But when you're asking about how does someone get sentenced or what happens when they're sentenced, uh, what we were talking about earlier uh, before we got on, on air was that the individual would be escorted by 
uh, either police or sheriffs or what, whatever exists. And would it be um, typically more than one? So you'd have like a group of people coming in? Um, no, you can expect to have anything from a group of one to a dozen. It all depends on, on the activity within a, you know, the courts that day. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, and okay. how many times? There's, you know, you can get several um, loads of uh, intake, as it's called, throughout the day and sometimes even into the evening. So the individual or individuals will come into uh, the facility. They'll come in through a secure area. They are placed in um, a controlled area from uh, so that the staff can start the process. I'm already scared. Uh, no. Well, <laughs> you know what? If you can imagine... Um, like like you said, people only see this in the movies, right? Sure, so, sure. So and, I'm so, super curious about well, this. You kind of get desensitized <clears throat> once you've been doing this for a while to for things sure, like the yeah. large, you know, the loud sound of a door slam. You kind of get used to, but for others, it can be a very um, intimidating, uh, you know, experience. And, so and first time, here we go. First time, you you come in, you're escorted into uh, uh, the intake area. You're placed into, uh, in some places, they'll place you either into one room. And so there may be like, you know, five or more of you in one room. Okay. Or they'll place you in individual rooms. It all depends on the setup of the intake area. An officer will then uh, be, a, there's several officers that will be involved. And there'll be a number of activities going on. So there'll be the individuals that'll be taking your photograph uh, and starting your initial paperwork where they'll, uh, if the person's in on a remand warrant, and that's someone that's not been convicted, mm-hmm. but because of uh, a number of different factors is uh, believed that they need to remain within an institutional setting uh, until they've been uh, properly go through the uh, rehabilitation. Judici- well, or... no, until they go through the judicial system to determine whether or not or what their sentence may be. Okay, so they're like waiting for... Yeah. Okay, got they're it. They're waiting for to be processed. Sentencing, processing. So you okay. have remand offenders, you have sentence offenders. This is on the provincial side. Uh, in a provincial or in a federal system, they're just coming in because they've been sentenced. There's no remand in the federal system. Um, so you come in and, as I said, photographs are taken... Um, the uh, you'll, the person will be met by a staff member who will start going through the tombstone information of their life. You know, are they re- in their re- regular clothes still by this point? At this point, most of them are still within what uh, you would call street clothes. Right. So they will answer a bunch of information, making sure that we have um, you know the where they what their address was, what their last known address was. Um, you know, next the, to kin, next to kin, of that? all okay. of that stuff. Okay, yeah. They'll also be met by a nurse. A nurse will do a uh, medical screening of the individual, and that would include: Are there any? Um, is the individual STDs. taking pres- STDs, prescriptions, um, you know, uh, mental health issues that uh, the person uh, you know is aware of? Uh, There'll be a classification person meets with the individual to determine, you know, who do they know within the facility? What is their background? Gang related, things like that? Or yes, because, well, it's gang related. Or demographic. That, no, we generally, well, it's interesting to ask about demographic, but uh, let's get to that in just a, a moment. But you, you're looking at who is the person going to be able to interact with in a um in an okay way, or is there any potential threats within the institution by them or others towards them? Right. So, if, in fact, if you have someone that's being brought in 
for a crime that uh, affected another inmate's family, you don't want to put that that individual in, in the same unit because there could be retribution. So you have to look after safety, right? Okay, so I have a question on that. So the people who are brought in, are they in close proximity of the jail typically, or could they come from no, they miles come away? From all over. All over, you could okay. Have people from you know, extensive Like another distance. province? On occasion. Okay. Yeah. They could be uh, someone that even was traveling through the province. Uh, when they were picked up for something else. Yeah. I got you. Okay, interesting. So we do the risk assessment because you know, there's a lot about uh, the field that where we're looking after the health, welfare, safety, and security. That's a term that's always coming up, right? Health, welfare, safety, and security of the uh, offenders and of the staff. Okay. So the classification is done. Uh, determination, determination is made where that person is going to get placed. Uh, then they go to a property officer. The property officer will then be exchanging the individual's uh, street clothes for institutional clothes. They'll be going through a, uh, you know, in some cases, uh, an opportunity to shower there or on the unit. Uh, if they have any basic toiletries, we give them a little basic toiletries. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, um, when they're escorted to their new uh, room uh, or dorm or whatever the case may be. Uh, they have something to start up with, right? Also, okay, if they have so any money, basic. that money gets placed in, in trust for them so that they can draw from to purchase canteen items when once they've been processed that way as well. So can you place somebody who's recently coming in with somebody who's been there for a long time? Like, yes. Do you pair people yeah. up that way? Yeah, there's a lot of different factors that are taken into account. Um, and before the person even leaves that intake area, mm-hmm. they're uh, subjected to a stripture. That's where we leave the episode today. Part one, interview with a warden. Part two and the final closing chapter of this interview will be concluded next week. So thank you for listening. Visit ValerieMoss.ca for more information.